Well, happy Father's Day. Uh, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's, uh, for some reason, fathers don't get as much celebration as moms do on Mother's Day, but I think everybody's good with that. <laughs> we know who does all the work, right? Uh, but I'm glad you're here today that we can celebrate because, uh, dads, I believe if you can figure out what Ryan just talked about and what I'm about to talk about, uh, you know, I have no issues, no issues. I mean, there's going to be circumstances, but, um, knowing your identity is a, a huge deal. And going going to camp with these kids and the the leaders. Here's the one thing that I'll say that I deal with, <clears throat> really as a pastor, is how do you formulate your idea of who God is? Like in today's society, one of the biggest struggles is most people formulate their idea of God is based upon their feelings. Well, I don't think God would do this. My God wouldn't do this. My God would do this. And it's all based upon opinions. I can't argue that. I can't argue your feelings and opinions. Because I guarantee you my feelings and my opinions are not the same as yours. I guarantee it. The only thing that I can base this, what I understand about my God, is based upon His Word and the spirit that lives in me that causes me to discern his word. And I was talking to Chloe, my daughter, yesterday, talking about everybody in this room that knows Jesus as their Savior has that same ability that I have. It's not a seminary training. It's not a degree. It's literally having the Holy Spirit inside of you as believers which you do you may not understand that but you're able to read God's word you don't have to come here just on Sunday morning and have me spoon feed you you can read it and you can understand it I believe that your understanding grows as you grow in your faith I'm still trying to understand it I'm still trying to unpack it and Lord, help me do that to my dying days. I want to be learning on my last days. And so, pray for us this week as we get to hang out with the kids. That we can teach them truth that comes from the Word of God. We try to, I, I, I try to remove all the emotions that are manipulated Emotions happen, but uh, I try to remove that. I don't want to manipulate these kids when we go to camp. I just want them to, this is the word, this is what God says, and then we'll see what the Spirit does. So, and as we do that, we're, we're, we're breaking down the Passover meal. We did that last week. We talked about the 15 ceremonies, which I know is uh, long, but let me take the scripture now as we go through the gospels and let me apply it to the passover meal there was a passover meal that happened with jesus and his disciples on the last night that thursday the 14th of nisan if you haven't been here you have to go back and listen to it and catch up but he had a passover meal 
Peter, Peter and John, uh, James and John went and prepared the, the Passover lamb on Thursday at the temple, made the sacrifice, they came back and roasted it. Their sun went down, so it was actually into Passover, which was Friday night and Saturday. And Jesus is having this meal with them. The Passover that we practice today is a little bit different. The, the, I guess the rules or the ceremonies that uh, they practice today weren't even written down until 600 A.D. So the things that they did back in Jesus' time during the Passover was all based upon them telling the story of what happened when God led the Israelites out of Egypt, out of captivity. And so today, let me break this down again real quick. And I'm only going to, it's going to take me a few weeks to do this. But the very first, the very first ceremony in the Passover is the Kaddish. The Kaddish, you remember what the Kaddish was? It was the cup of Thanksgiving, the cup of blessing. It was actually, there were four cups that were there. Four cups. The second cup was, I believe, the Barak cup, which was the, uh, talked about the, the ten plagues. Remember that? I said that they would take the second cup and they would pour it out and they would name a plague. Water to blood, frogs, locusts. And they just remembered what happened during that time. Then the third, the third cup that was had was the, uh, the, was the one that was grace was said over the meal. That they actually talked about redemption. And I can't wait till we get to that cup. We're not going to get to that cup today. And then the fourth one was the Hillel. And that was one of praise. It's not scripturally in the Bible, but we know that it says, and they sang a song and went out. That Hillel song is Psalm 113 through 118. They probably sing that together as they were leaving. But today, I want to back up and talk about the Kaddish, that first cup that first cup of blessing, one of sanctification, and really one of thanksgiving. Remember, twilight came, they lit the two candles, and the Passover meal had begun. The dad, the grandfather, the patriarch of the house would say this special blessing as they would take the, the cup of wine and they would say a blessing over that wine as they took it. There was no wine allowed between the first and the second cup. Now, watch this. Let's apply the scripture to this. In Luke chapter 22, verse 14, it says this. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. You know what an apostle is, right? Apostle is different than a disciple. Apostle is somebody that actually hung out with Jesus personally. That's the difference, an apostle. Disciple, you and I can be disciples of Jesus. A disciple basically means someone who is a student, a follower, a learner. And we're all disciples of Jesus, but we can't be apostles because they actually hung out with Jesus. It says, the apostles were with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Remember what we said about this? He's like, I'm getting ready to die. This is it. I'll never take a Passover meal again with you until 
I return. When Jesus returns, it will be during the millennial reign, a thousand year reign, and that will be the first time that Jesus will actually take the Passover again. It hasn't happened yet. It's prophecy. It's going to happen and it's going to happen every year because God says this is a permanent memory. You will do this always. That's why they still do it today in 2018. He says, Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. You know, According to Jewish tradition, here's what instruction said about the Passover meal. If there's four cups. Now today, some people say there's five. There's the cup of Elijah. That's theological discussion with the, the Jewish people. But there's four cups for sure. And it says there's a specific amount of wine that goes in the cups total. Not like each cup, but total of the four cups. You know why they say there's a limit to it? So they don't become intoxicated. There's a specific amount mentioned in Jewish tradition about how much they're supposed to serve at the Passover. What does that tell you about the wine? It's alcoholic. It's not grape juice. You can actually get drunk on that wine. Now, what does Jesus say here? Jesus is talking about, he says, he says, uh, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine. Everybody says, well, do you think that Jesus drank alcohol? I believe that he, he did. He said, I drank from the fruit of the vine. It was naturally fermented just like there was no leaven in the house because they had to leave there was nothing that was added to this wine it was a natural fermentation of the grapes that occurred and jesus actually drank wine all right so you with me that's the first cup now let's get to the second ceremony and the second ceremony is called the Erhats. You don't pronounce the C-H, it's just an H sound. But Erhats, this was the washing of the hands. Still a current practice. You remember on the Seder plate, there was a little bowl of, of water that was right beside the plate, and they would just literally dip their fingers in, and that was it. It was to proclaim that they had anointed themselves and were cleansed. For this now, uh, watch what Jesus says in John chapter thirteen. This is where we're going to spend the majority of today. Is John chapter thirteen? We break down this, and we're just going to really stay right here on their hots. It says before the Passover festival. I have to stop right there. Let me clarify. If you weren't here last week, but we read from Leviticus, and we tried to explain that. A lot of days, if you go up and ask a Jewish person, how long is the Passover? How long is the Feast of the Unleavened Bread? Most of them will say seven days. Some of them will say eight days. But we designated in here, based upon what we read in Leviticus, that actually the Passover is one event, 
And the Feast of the Unleavened Bread is another event which is seven days long. That may not seem like a big deal to you, but it's huge if you base it upon the timing of Jesus and the Scripture. Now, if you're a Jew, you're not going to be worried about the timing of Jesus because you don't believe he's the Messiah. But for me as a Gentile, me as a Christian, that's kind of a big deal to be able to say, look, the Scripture lines up exactly with Jesus pointing to him to be the Messiah. So watch what it says in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 4, it says, These are the Lord's appointed times, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at the appointed times. The Passover to the Lord comes in the first month, which was the name was what? Nisan. At twilight, the sun has gone down on the 14th day of the month. So on the 14th of Nisan, it's the sun's gone down, and you're supposed to take the Passover meal. Now watch this. It says in verse 6, The festival of the unleavened bread to the Lord is on the 15th day of the same month. Two totally different events. Passover one day, feast of the unleavened bread seven days. It's a total of eight days that take place. So he says, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. You just read that and you didn't even think about it. But when I read that, and he said he loved them to the end, that was a big deal. Jesus came and loved his disciples. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus loves you. And the beauty of it is, he loves you to the end. Now, I'll go out there what I believe theologically. That if at some point you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Right? That he's the Messiah. That you became a child of God. At that very point, there's a transformation that I'm going to talk about here in just a second that took place inside of you. And I get there's this power of sin that still works on us even though that we're believers and that's a whole nother. And sometimes we continue to make bad choices. We call that a season of walking in our flesh. But I don't think there's anything that I can do to separate me from my Savior. Because He said... I love you to the end. In fact, if you back up to John chapter 6, verse 37, it says, Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. That's good news, people. That means that no matter what I do, I'm good. I will always be a child of the King. I will always be, but again, it comes down to what, like Ryan was saying, it's like my heart has been changed and I want to be obedient to my father. If I chase after my own selfish desires, I'll probably walk in a season of flesh and I would be disobedient and it would be unnatural for me to do that. 
but there's beauty in knowing that he loves me to the very end. Verse 2, it says this. Now by the time of supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas. We've talked about that for the last two weeks. Simon Iscariot's son to betray him. We all know the story that Judas went out, made a plan with the Sadducees, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin to betray Jesus in private. 30 pieces of silver. Watch this in verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands. He had come from God and that he was going back to God. Let me finish this. So he got up from the supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel and he tied it around himself. Next he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterward you will know. You will never wash my feet. Ever, Peter said. Jesus replied, If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, okay, if that's the case, then not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus says, one who has bathed doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, you are not all clean. Now let me back up and break this down. First of all, uh, you talk about foot washing. It goes back with the erhats. The erhats is the washing of the hands, the cleansing of the hands, basically needing to be ceremonial clean. So what Jesus does is he washes the feet. And again, I'm not much of a, a washing other people's feet. Which even makes my Savior doing what he did even cooler. Because if I can't, if I can't even like, oh, I'm not doing that. The Creator humbled himself to wash the feet of the created. The Creator humbled himself to let the created be his parents. The creator, Jesus the creator, in the beginning was the word. John 1.1 1, 1. He is the creator. Yet he was able to humble himself to his disciples and say, you know, I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to I'm going to take care of you right here. And then, um, this is probably one of the biggest verses. I back up to three. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. You know what that says to me right there? Jesus knew exactly who he was. Jesus knew his identity. <laughs> 
no problem humiliating himself to wash his disciples' feet because he knew exactly where he came from, he knew exactly who he was, and he knew exactly where he was going. No problem. I'll get down and wash your nasty feet. That's what he did. And then, back to verse 7. Jesus answered him, What I'm doing, you don't understand, but afterwards, you will know. I was thinking about this. Uh, obviously, I think about it all week long when I'm teaching, but think about this for a second. R- remember the days before smartphones and GPSs. Like, I was going to a wedding this weekend in Whitestown. Never been to this place in Tango Farms place. Never had no idea where it was. 20 years ago, I would have had to pull out a map. Kids, they made these uh, written things, you know, that were like uh, streets on them and everything. And you had to... Only the guys could fold them back right, so uh, you know that's true. <laughs> Give my wife a map, and I'd be watching it for ten minutes trying to fold that thing. Sorry, honey, you know it's true. So, and guys just like, but when she'd write those letters to me, she'd fold them up, you know, all kind of like, and I never could learn how to fold those things back. Guys are just straight. I'm sorry. The grass. <laughs> so there's maps. And I, I was thinking I had to look at a map to figure out where I'm going. But now, but now I've got my smartphone and I just punch in the address in Google Maps and it says, here's the place. You want directions? We'll take you there. Hey, look, there's traffic there. You want to go this way instead of going this way. In fact, It's going to take you this long to get there. It's this many miles to get there. And you're going to get there at this time. But 20 years ago, I'd look at a map and go, man, I don't know what the traffic's going to be like. I don't know how how long this is going to take me to get there. You remember, right? (laughs) You, You remember trying to meet somebody without a cell phone? Right? These kids have no idea what we went through. But it's the same way when Jesus said, you don't understand now. You don't understand now, but you're going to understand. I look at it the same way. I, I didn't know how long it was going to take me to get to this farm. I didn't, I, but today I did. Like, I said I'd be there. At a certain time, I punched it in Google. It said it's going to take me this long. You need to leave by this time based upon traffic. And guess what? I got there right on time. God's timing, right? It's because things have changed. We've learned. We've progressed. And this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. You don't get this right now, but you will get this. They didn't have the spirit inside of them at this time because Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet, gone into the tomb, risen again, gone sent up with his heavenly father and sent the spirit to come down and live inside of them yet. It hasn't happened yet. That happens in Acts chapter 2. 
So they're at a total loss right now, but Jesus is saying, you will get this eventually. You're going to get it. In verse 8, he says, Peter says this, he says, you will never wash my feet ever. Peter, I love Peter, he's one of my favorite characters in the scripture. It's the same one who jumped out of the boat without any fear and said, I'll walk on water. It's the same one that said, I'll never deny you. Jesus looking at him and go, well, one of you is going to deny me. And Peter's like, it ain't going to be me that denies you. Wrong. Peter was the one that like when the Roman soldiers came to arrest Jesus that night in the garden of Gethsemane, he whips out the sword and cuts off the dude's ear and says, I got your back, Jesus. And Jesus says, Peter, Peter, put your sword away. That's the Peter that says, you ain't going to wash my feet. I'm not going to let the Savior, the Lord, do that to me. And Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me, Peter. Like, you got to figure this thing out. I've come to serve. And this is what we're going to do. This is my plan for the world, is we're going to love and we're going to serve. We're going to humble ourselves. Peter, you better get on board or you're not with me. Peter, you with me? Simon Peter said to him, Lord, okay, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. I'm all in. I'm all in. It's Peter, right? He's all in. And Jesus says this, one who has bathed doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he's completely clean. You're clean, but not all of you. Let me break this down. We were in Israel and we visited many ancient public bathhouses. We saw how they literally used the restroom and we saw where they would go and sit in nice saunas and they would literally bathe. There's there at the temple, there's a, pa- a place that they would clean themselves ceremonially before they went up to the temple mount. But they constantly bathed themselves. But guess what? They didn't have cars to get into. <laughs> they had to walk from the bathhouse on the dirt roads and their feet got dirty. They physically got dirty. I tried to keep my nice shiny shoes shiny yesterday for that wedding, but I kept walking in gravel and dirt and they kept getting dusty. There's no way that you could keep the dust off of your feet. So I know in Jerusalem it was the same way. Their feet just got dirty. Now, let me take you to 1 Corinthians 6. And understand this. I'm teaching the Gospels before the Spirit came, just like we talked about. Paul wrote this letter to the church at Corinth. The Spirit's already come. They're believers. He's writing to the believers. He's writing to the church. You with me? He's writing to the church. They're believers, and they all have the Spirit in them. And he says to them this, Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? I'm just reading the Bible. Don't get mad at me. Do not be deceived. 
No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you, some of you who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, used to be like this. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, what he just did there, as Ryan talked about in the prayer time, is you were born with one nature, a sinful nature. We all inherited that from Adam. That's scripturally. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, we were all born spiritually dead. It was natural for us to sin. When we came to a point to understand Jesus as our Savior, Lord, Messiah, then all of a sudden he transformed us. He transformed us and he took our old sinful nature out and replaced it with a new nature. Everybody that's a believer in this room right here is a new creation according to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Old things have passed away and now you're a new creation. Hello, you're a new creation. So now when you sin, which you still do and which I still do, it's unnatural. It feels unnatural for me to do that, to make that choice. I still make that choice. I still blow it. I still sin. But I'm a new man. It is me, the new man that is sinning. But it's totally against my nature. It says, but now some of you, you were cleaned. You were cleaned. Oh, but you... You go, well, when was I washed? When was I washed? You were washed the moment that you believed. I'm not talking about like a physical, watery wash. I'm talking about you were washed clean. You miss this. You're going to miss this. Watch this. We'll back up to what he just said there. He says, you were washed. You know what the biggest part of that is? The E-D. The E-D. You were washed. E-D means what? Past tense. It has already occurred. Like it's... In the Greek, it's a complete action. There's nothing that you can do to improve on it. You have been washed. Watch this. You were sanctified, E-D. Completed action, past tense. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Justified, it's got an E-D on it. It's past, it's already happened. Everybody in this room that's a believer has been sanctified, you've been set apart, you've been made holy, you've been justified, just as if you've never sinned. That, that's not a, a position that you hold, it's who you are. He made you that way by dying on the cross. He cleaned you already. There's nothing that you can do to clean yourself up more than you already are. I get it, you make bad choices and you, some of your behaviors are crazy, I get it. But you as a person have been made holy, have been washed, have been separated. You have been justified. 
Now, he's sitting here writing to the people at First Corinthians, in Corinthians. And you're talking about people that were getting drunk at the Last Supper. You're talking about a dude that was sleeping with his mother-in-law. And he's like saying, I get, I get that that used to be your behavior. And some of you are still, still walking in your flesh. I get that. But you need to understand who you are. When you understand who you are, and that's unnatural for you, everything changes. You're not just declared righteous. You're made righteous. Trust me. Ephesians 1.4. Ephesians 1.4. God made me holy. Past tense. I'm standing up here and I'm holy. You're looking at a holy person in flip-flops. <laughs> Colossians 2.10 I was made complete. He forgave me totally. How many times did He forgive me? <laughs> what? Once. Apama hot. One time. One time. He died on the cross. One time he died for all my sins. He doesn't get back up on the cross every night that I go and ask for forgiveness. I had to ask for forgiveness one time. One time. And it's complete. It says right there, Colossians 2.10. Romans 8.30 says, I was made glorified. I was glorified. E-D. I, I get it. There's a glorified body that's waiting for me in heaven. You won't see this fine specimen again. It's going into the ground. There's a glorified body but look, it already says that I'm glorified. It's a done deal. You're looking at a glorified person right here. Hebrews 10.10 says, I was made perfect. I was sanctified. Hebrews 10.14, I was made sanctified and perfect. For by one offering, he did it one time for all. The blood of the bulls and goats couldn't do what my Savior did. 1 John 2.12 I am forgiven. I write to you little children because you understand forgiveness. You got to understand he died one time and he forgave you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 I was made righteousness and, and not just righteous, but the righteousness of God. Are you kidding me? The righteousness of God lives inside of me. I got one amen out of that. The holy living God who is righteous has made me righteous. I'm holy. I'm redeemed. I'm forgiven. Yet sometimes we want to walk in here in our flesh and our selfishness because we forget or we don't understand who we truly are. You've got to figure out who you are. You see, for me, that happened when I was eight years old. I didn't have a clue what I do now. It was like reading a map back then versus having the Google phone now. I didn't get it. I didn't get it. But it had already occurred. I was washed. I was cleaned. I was redeemed. I was forgiven. All that when I was eight years old. It wasn't some position that I held that when I died, I was going to receive the fulfillment of this scripture later on. It had already occurred. That's who I am. Jesus says, you were cleaned. This is who I 
am. Why do you think we keep teaching identity here at Levener? Because it's a big deal for you to know who you are. And I know as soon as you walk out that door today, the evil one's going to work on you and say, that ain't true for you. It may be true for everybody else in there, but that's not true for you. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It is true for you because it says it right here in the scripture. You are love to the end. <laughs> to the very end, you're forgiven. And I hate to close it out like this, but verse 11 it says, For he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, You're not all clean. That's a pretty good indication that Judas wasn't a believer. If he's saying to all his other disciples, you're all clean, but not all of you. He's probably referring to Judas. And indicating he doesn't think like the rest of you. I'm telling you, it's important for you to know who you are in Christ. Period. It goes back to the Passover meal. It all lines up. It makes sense. It's the truth. It's not based upon my feelings or opinions. I pray you get that. Father, I pray that your word is your word and not mine. That the truth has been told today and been read today, and you, as the divine teacher, have caused them to see it and understand it in a new perspective today. I pray that they walk out of here knowing for sure that they're a child of God and that you love them to the end. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.